begin our reading in verse 12 this morning. Paul writes, Not as though I'd already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may, app- may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded, and in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Father, again, we thank you for the word of God, the opportunity to open it this morning, to read its truth, proclaim its truth to this congregation. I pray that we may have hearts that are open to the truth of your word. May we have uh, submissive minds and hearts and lives unto you. Lord, may you illuminate our minds and hearts to understand the truth that is before us. And may you receive the glory and the honor in all that is done as you would use your word to continue to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. So, Father, we are as vessels in the potter's hand this morning, and I pray that we might be pliable, that we might be surrendered and submissive to he who is working this eternal work. We thank you that you are faithful to complete that which you've begun, and, Lord, that we rest and trust not in our own sufficiency, not of anything we can boast, but that of Christ and what he has accomplished. So, Lord, may you help us to understand with discernment from your spirit the truth of your word today as Christ has revealed therein. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and be seated. As I've done over the many months of our study of this epistle, I continue to believe it is necessary, it is important to remind you of Paul's thesis statement and purpose for writing this letter to the church at Philippi. I I tell you, I know over and over again, I remind you of this truth that the epistles all have a thesis statement, usually within the first verses of the first chapter, in which the writer is explaining the reason for which he has written this letter, or what the purpose is in writing this epistle. And so in in chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, Paul provides that thesis to us. He says, And this I pray to the church at Philippi, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Judgment meaning discernment. He says in verse 10, here's the statement, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. And so what we find here in this text, in verse 10, that Paul says that you may approve things that are excellent. And the word excellent here means superior. And so as we will see throughout this epistle, Paul makes it very clear that he thought everything, that he had counted as righteousness previously to his account before God. He counts all those things as loss, as but garbage and refuse, even as we looked at some in the past, past week or so. And we, we have seen that Paul says that all of my resume, which was a very impressive one, again, we, if you remember with me, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees of the tribe of Benjamin, uh, circumcised on the eighth day. He was a, a, a religious zealot that, to which none other could be compared. And yet he says, all these things, I not only held them near and dear to me, but literally what Paul was saying was that I was looking to these things, what I had become, what I had done, what I was doing, as though this was some righteousness that I could present before God. And so we know that's not the case at all. And Paul came to that conclusion as well when he actually then said that he counted all things but loss 
for the excellency of Christ Jesus and to know Christ. And so Paul says that everything other than knowing Jesus is inferior because to know Christ is superior. And to know Christ in the sense of not only I am not going to perish, just I've been saved, but a continued growth in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So within these verses, Paul exhorted the Philippian believers to discover and to distinguish the distinctive difference between those things which are superior and those things which are inferior. And if you recall with me, it's interesting that in order to know that something is inferior, you must first recognize something else to be superior. And until one comes to the knowledge of Jesus Christ in salvation, he will continue to look to other things, church membership, uh, ministry, uh, doing good things from man's perspective. He will continue to look to those things as though those things provide him some righteousness which he can present before God. However, when you see Jesus for who he is and you recognize him to be who he is, you then begin to recognize as Paul and discover that everything else is inferior to the Lord Jesus Christ and to knowing him. Paul provided this comparison within verses 7 through 11. Knowing Christ, he says, is the only object of true value. Verse 7, Paul declared that to know Jesus is superior to everything or anything else. Second, knowing Christ is the only provision for true righteousness. In verse 9, Paul concluded that the identity that God had provided him in Jesus Christ was superior to all other things by which one may claim identity. And then third, knowing Christ is the only source of true hope in verses 10 and 11. Paul recognized as well that the only present and eternal hope comes from one's knowledge of Jesus Christ and one's identity in him. Last week we considered verses 12 through 14 in which Paul addressed the one thing that covered his past, it determined his future, and consumed his present. He said, first of all, the past, forgetting those things which are behind. When Paul made that statement, he wasn't talking about yesterday. He was talking about his resume. He was talking about all the things he had previously stated that he thought to be important, that he thought to be something he could cling to for his own righteousness to present this before God. He says, I count those things as lost, leaving those things behind. He said, I am, those are behind me. I no longer look to them. I no longer cling to them. They mean nothing to me. Then the future, number two, he said, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, and then the present, third, he says, I press toward the mark. And so, verse 12, Paul said, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Last week I said to you, that verse may seem a little confusing when you read it, and you may not quite understand what Paul is saying, but within this verse, Paul is simply explaining that he had yet to be made complete and was not yet a finished work. Nevertheless, although he had not been made complete, he desired to fully grasp and completely lay hold to that of which God had laid hold of him. So the very thing that, that Paul says, I recognize that God has laid hold of me, God has redeemed me, God has called me, God has rescued me. And he says, I have yet to fully understand even all that that means. I have yet understanding the reality of this eternal purpose of God and now the purpose of this eternal work of God as it is being demonstrated and displayed through my life. He says, I forget those things that are behind, reach unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark, but I'm recognizing previously stated that I have not yet arrived. I have been redeemed, but I've not yet come to perfection, nor never will I as long as I'm in this life. Verses 13 and 14, Paul went on to say, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, 
forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. As I previously explained to you, for one to express a desire to grow in knowledge of something is also a confession of one's lack in knowledge of that which they possess the desire to continue to know. In other words, when I say, oh, I want to know more about that, I am immediately confessing that I am ignorant concerning this matter. So there's not, I don't know all I should know. I don't know all I desire to know about this. And that's exactly what Paul was saying. He says, I want to know Christ. As a redeemed man, as one who's been born again, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, Paul the apostle says, I want to know Christ. And that is first and foremost in my entire life and existence is to know Jesus Christ. And by stating that fact, he is also admitting, I am ignorant of all there is to know about my Savior. And might I say to you this morning, when we say, oh, Christ, to know him is superior, I want to know him, you must humbly recognize in making that statement that you are confessing that you do not know all you can know, and neither do you know all you should know about the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is. Paul wrote in his letter to the churches at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 8, 2, And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing as yet he ought to know. Paul expressed both his ignorance of his knowledge of Christ and his desire to grow in his knowledge of Christ within this passage. Yet Paul's understanding of his ignorance did not bring him to become despondent or in despair, but rather it fueled him with a passion to know Jesus even more. Chapter 3, verses 7 and 8 of this same epistle, Paul says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Verse 8, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Paul explained in verse 14 that there was nothing which can... There was only one thing that is that consumed his life. And he says, the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, this is the one thing. This is the one thing that consumes my entire being is to know Christ. So this morning, we continue our study of Paul's commitment to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ in verses 15 and 16. Let's read those together. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything, ye be otherwise minded... God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Within these two verses, Paul expounds upon the importance of unity within the body of Christ and the necessity for us to possess understanding as to our present maturity and also humility before God and dependency upon Him to reveal to us that which He must reveal for us to continue to mature in the faith. Notice he begins this exhortation here in verses 15 and 16 concerning this continuation of thought, but he begins this portion by saying, let us therefore, in verse 15. There are two things which uh, this statement draws our attention. First, he says, let us. Now, he's speaking to the Philippian church, and again, Paul is in prison, but yet he's writing to the church at Philippi, and he's doing so including himself with them and them with himself concerning this matter. He says, so let us, and when he makes this statement, this obviously is a call for the spirit of unity within the body of Christ. He's including himself among those to whom he is writing. This unity was one which was a result of the relationship which is produced between those who are believers in Jesus Christ, regardless of any other differences. I want to call you to this truth 
When Paul says, let us, this was a church at Philippi, right? He's in prison, and he's including himself with this body of believers. And yet, though Paul would instruct and, and correct and rebuke other churches as well, he would include himself with them. We have to remember this truth, and we saw this in Ephesians very clearly in our previous study of that epistle, that we do not, we do not produce unity within the body of Christ. We're not even called to do that. We're not called to manufacture unity. We're not called to portray unity. We have already been provided unity through the provision, God's provision of his son, Jesus Christ, as his spirit dwells in us. And so we are to cultivate this unity, meaning that we are to recognize its presence. And think of it like this one. The word cultivate obviously would carry some... um, agricultural sense to it in a, in a manner. You think about cultivating uh, uh, growth in a plant or what have you. And if you think about something that's been planted, the seed is already there. And as it begins to grow, you are cultivating its growth in this sense that you begin to remove any of the weeds or anything that would cause a hindrance for its growth. And you also are at the same time providing what is necessary on your part, watering it, caring for it, tying it up, staking it, whatever you have to do according to what is growing. And you are, uh, as a tomato plant, for instance, this is a a great example. My grandpa, as many of you know, he had a garden until he was like 91 or 92. Out there and plant and bring in all sorts of vegetables and work the garden. And I remember with the tomato plants, for instance, he would go out, he would stake them or put a cage around them as they began to grow. But then as they grew also, he would go in, he would remove any weeds that were in the garden, of course, to, and only trying to keep the weeds out that, the, that the, it wouldn't suck up the nutrients that were there for the other uh, vegetables and plants. But he also would go and he would take what he called, there were suckers on the tomato plant. And so he would take his knife or just go up with his hand, he began to break them off. And he would break off these small limbs that were not productive at all. He was removing anything that would prevent the plant from producing and growing as it was meant to do. He didn't make it produce anything. It was going to produce, but he, made, he had to make sure as the gardener to cut away, to trim out, to weed, to remove all that in the soil that would and fertilize and everything else to cultivate its growth. But the unity of the body of Christ is already present. We don't, we don't bring it into being. It is. But it is our responsibility, as Paul said in Ephesians 4.3, that we are endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the in the bonds of peace. And what he's saying is that we are to maintain the unity of the Spirit. It means that we are to remove all hindrances that would cause that unity to be disrupted. So we have unity, and Paul acknowledges that. He said, let us as a unit, a body in unity, as believers in unity. And so again, I say that to make this point, that if someone is a believer in Jesus Christ and resting in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ alone, that person has unity with other believers in the body of Christ. And that's regardless of other peripheral matters that may be present. And we are to do our best to remove all that would prevent the unity from continuing to grow as part of the body of Christ. He goes on to say, let us therefore, in verse 15, and this is a charge to act in the spirit of unity. So not only to recognize and, and that we are to maintain and, and cultivate this unity, but also to act in this unity. The Lord has not only provided us unity through His Spirit, but He calls us to act in the unity which He has provided. The word therefore is referred to as a logical and inferential conjunction. 
And this means that it is a conjunction which, which conveys a conclusion, a deduction, a summary or inference to the preceding discussion. In other words, Paul is concluding when he says, let us therefore, he is concluding that based on all that he has previously stated, as we've discovered in the past weeks of study, all that he has previously stated, all these previous statements, the church is to recognize, as did he, that they had, that they had yet to fully grasp this purpose for which the Lord had laid hold of him. He says, let us therefore, and he's saying based on everything we've already seen, everything that's already been stated, he says, let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. Being thus minded, Paul is referring again to that which he had previously stated. Within our text, Paul charged those who were spiritually mature to maintain the same mindset or understanding concerning their spiritual maturity and continued growth as he. Verse 15 goes on to say, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. Now the word perfect in verse 15 is an adjective and it means mature here. This is a different word than that which Paul used in verse 12. If you look back at verse 12, Paul says, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after that if I may apprehend that for which also I'm apprehended of Christ Jesus. The word perfect in verse 12 is part of a verb phrase. It's a verb, and it is in the perfect tense and passive voice in verse 12. So when Paul says, not as though I'd already attained, either were already perfect, Paul is saying that he, God had not yet, because it's passive voice. He's not saying this is something I do to myself. This is something God is determined to perform within me. And so Paul is saying, I've not yet been made perfect, passive voice. So he's saying that although God has not yet perfected or completed the work which the Lord had begun in him, he desired to pursue after that for which God had pursued and redeemed him. By the way, I would say this is a marker in every genuine believer in Jesus Christ. This is something that's going to make a distinguishing uh, reality mark within the life of those who know Christ and those who profess to know Christ and yet do not know him. For those in wh- whom God has laid hold of, for those whom God has grasped by his grace and mercy and brought them to redemption, they will continue to desire to grow in the knowledge of he who has redeemed them. But for those who just simply make professions, there's no desire to know Christ because they don't know him yet in salvation. And so this is a distinguishing marker. And Paul is saying, let us in unity continue to recognize and understand this truth that we've not yet attained, but yet we have this passion and desire to continue to grow. In verse 15, Paul is addressing all those who are mature in the faith. Due to their spiritual maturity, Paul was able to speak to them in a deeper manner than others. And the scripture makes a clear contrast between the spiritually mature and immature. In 1 Corinthians 3, 1 and 2, in his letter of rebuke to the Corinthian church, Paul says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as babes in Christ. For I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. In Hebrews 5, 12 through 6, 3, Paul, or the writer says, For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have no need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. 
chapter 6, he goes on to say, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, meaning maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. So when Paul charged those who were spiritually mature to be thus minded, he's speaking to them in a manner because he can, they can understand the truth of which he spoke. As we saw in Corinthians, Paul says that they were, they were babes, that they were drinking the milk rather than being able to eat the meat of the word. And so Paul ministered to them accordingly, but did so while rebuking them for their immaturity. Then, of course, you see as well in Peter mentioning the same thing and those I'm sorry, in, in Hebrews, mentioning the same thing, and those who were unskillful in the word is a babe using milk, not strong meat, but yet we are to go on unto perfection. So Paul charged these who are spiritually mature, let us therefore, who are perfect, perfect not meaning without sin, without being tempted, no, he's saying those who are mature, let those who are mature, he said, remain minded in this manner. He is referring to that which he had previously declared concerning his own mindset when he says thus minded. And he says in verses 13 and 14, just preceding verse 15, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, let us therefore, because of all of this, as many as be perfect or mature, be thus minded. Have the same understanding, have the same mindset. Recognize if you think that you are spiritually mature, you're not as mature as you can and should be. Just like if you think that you know Christ, you don't know Him as you can and should know Him. So we, there are those who are spiritually mature and continue in spiritual growth without question. But even the most mature, spiritual, spiritually mature believer in Jesus Christ still has so much more maturity in which he can grow. And Paul is making that statement very clear here in these verses. So while Paul addressed... Those who were spiritually mature, having been rooted and grounded in the truth of the Word of God and their relationship with Christ, he exhorted them to continue in that spiritual growth and pursuit of the knowledge of Christ with humility. They were to maintain awareness that they had not yet, nor would they ever in this lifetime, attain complete spiritual maturity. He then continued in verse 15, And if anything, if any, if anything ye, uh, ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Now, it would be consistent with Paul's statements thus far in this portion of the epistle for us to consider this latter part of verse 15 as Paul's expression of confidence in the Lord's faithfulness to correct and guide all those who desire to grow in the knowledge of Christ. If one is spiritually mature and yet possesses any other mindset other than that which Paul has expressed in verses 12 through 14, Paul is stating that God will make this evident to those who are committed to growing in their knowledge of Christ. So, look, this, this is really a beautiful statement that Paul makes here in the latter part of verse 15. Let's read it again. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. He's saying, so if you are spiritually mature 
And that is evident by your passion and desire to continue to grow in the knowledge and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are spiritually mature and you be any way other-minded, God is going to fix that too. You know what I have discovered over time? Well, first of all, the more I understand and grow in Christ, the more aware I become of how little I understand and have grown in Christ. And second, I have found that there are many times that there have been many things, whether they were taught to me or whether I just picked up on them along the way casually, let's say, there have been many times about many things that I thought, I really understood and I really knew all there was to know about this particular thing. And as I have grown and matured, I have found out that's just not the case. Let me give you a good example of this. <laughs> Years ago, uh, and I know I've been asked by some of you already, oh, will you please just teach through Revelation? And if you've asked me that, I've told, they said, when are you going to teach through Revelation? I don't give you an answer on that. I may never. <laughs> But years ago, years ago, probably 17, 18, I took it upon myself to enter into the study of Revelation with you, if you recall that. And I remember during that time, I'm just working through it, and I approach it as I do all Scripture, and, and honestly, and looking at it as I believed I should, and attempting to do my best to work through definitely some more difficult passages of Scripture, especially with all of the allegory that is used within the book. But I remember working through that and going back to resources and studying out these truths in Revelation. And someone came to me and they said, they said what are you doing? I said, well, I'm just going through the book of Revelation. They go, oh, man, you're brave. And I looked at them and I'm going, well, why would you say that? It's, I mean, a book of Scripture, like all other Scripture, we are to study it, and we are. And we are to grasp and gain as much understanding as we can, which we are and should. But I worked through the entirety of the book. And when I didn't know something, I would just simply say, well, I don't know. I'm not certain. You know, this is what... Others say about this, that, and the other. But now, some 17 or 18 years later, I've come to understand that what I thought I knew about that book, I was completely ignorant in that. And I've come to confess that. And now I understand, and if someone were telling me they were going through the book of Revelation, you know what I would say to them? That's great, but you're brave. <laughs> because I've come to understand that there is so much there that I don't understand and that other people who've written books about it really don't understand, though I would lean to them to help get understanding. And so the, the fact of the matter is this, that there are times that in our spiritual growth that we really believe that we understand this truth or this teaching, but we need to be aware that there are many things, as Paul stated here, a wonderful statement, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. The point is, if we have a heart to pursue after the Lord Jesus Christ in other areas where that may be hindered, where we may not see clearly, Paul is saying God is faithful to reveal your heart and mind to his revealed truth. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. This is a, a wonderful key verse within this, the entirety of this book. As Paul makes it very clear in chapter 1, verse 6, being confident, he said, of this very thing, 
that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Do you know in verse 15 of chapter 3, Paul is just continuing that statement. He's saying, I am confident that God is going to complete and perfect this work which he began in you. And here he's saying, oh, by the way, as you pursue after Christ, as you continue to mature and grow in the knowledge of Jesus, he's saying what's going to happen is God is going to teach you where you're wrong. He's going to correct you and guide you into truth. Jesus declared the same truth to the Jews of his day in John 7, 16 and 17. Jesus answered them and said, my doctrine is not mine. My teaching is not mine, he says, but his that sent me. It's the Father's. Then verse 17, if any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. So he's saying, if anyone is to follow after the will of God, then you'll know whether or not I'm of God or not. That will be revealed to you. When one is committed to knowing Christ, the Lord will continue to reveal truth to him while exposing and correcting any error that is present. Jesus further declared to his disciples that the Holy Spirit would work this truth in them once they were indwelt by his Spirit. In John 16, verse 12, Jesus says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So here Jesus is saying to the disciples, he's saying, oh, I have much to tell you, but you would not be able to comprehend. You would not be able to retain. You would not be able to keep and understand all that I have to say. But here's how I'm going to fix that. I'm going to send my spirit, the spirit of Christ, God's Holy Spirit. I'm going to send my spirit to you, and he will remind you of all things I have said, and he will even teach you of that which is yet to come. Paul concludes his thoughts in this fourth division within this chapter, making up these verses that we have studied thus far. This fourth division, Paul gives a strong exhortation. Notice what he says in verse 16. Nevertheless, where two we have already attained, Let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Nonetheless, Paul says, regardless of where one is in their spiritual maturity, let us continue to live according to the truth and maintain the same mindset of commitment to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and do so in a spirit of humility. Let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Paul is saying, Let us, notice let us twice, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Let us, he says in verse 15, therefore, if those who are, are, are mature, be thus minded. Recognizing that we are not yet perfected. We are not yet a completed work. But for all those who are committed to grow in the knowledge of Christ, God is faithful to continue to perfect this work in us. He will faithfully instruct. He will faithfully teach. He will faithfully correct. He will faithfully conform us into the image of His Son. He has begun this work. And it's because He has initiated this work that now that work is being reciprocated back towards Him in this sense. He's put in us the Holy Spirit of God through redemption, through Jesus Christ. And now it's the Holy Spirit that is reaching out to Him. The Holy Spirit that dwells within us who's desiring for us to know more. Teach us to guide us in the truth of His Word. As I mentioned a moment ago, Paul stated in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. What is he saying? He's saying God began this work, God initiated this work, God will complete and perfect this work 
Here's the reality. This morning, every one of us who have been born again, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, then this is, this is not true of you at all. But every believer in Jesus Christ that is here this morning, you are somewhere in your walk with Christ, in your walk in, in, in uh, knowledge of, of no, uh, growth in knowledge of Christ. And wherever you are as a believer in Jesus Christ, desire that and even pray to this end that God would pluck out, remove everything and anything that would hinder you in your growth of knowing Christ. And that's exactly what Paul said in chapter 3, verse 10, when he said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. When Paul makes again, he's saying that I may know him, that his resurrection power living in me, that I might identify in his sufferings, that I might identify in his death, that I, my life would look like the life of Christ because it is Christ who is living that life in me. And Paul says, I desire that more than anything. Remember in his epistle to the Corinthians, Paul is well stated concerning the thorn in his flesh as he referred to it. And he says three times he prayed that the Lord might remove this from him. And yet, rather than remove it, God says in response to Paul's prayer, my grace is sufficient for you. For my grace is, or my strength is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul's response to that was this. Now notice, I said it's the Spirit of God within us that is now reaching to the Lord and us growing in knowledge of Him because He has placed His Spirit in us. In other words, that which God has planted in us is becoming fruitful in us, and it always will. And so Paul says, first, Lord, please remove this from me. And no doubt the flesh of Paul, he's praying, not a fleshly prayer, but he's saying, Lord, if it is your will, I believe Paul was saying, I think that this thorn in the flesh, whatever it was, I believe that Paul prayed this because he felt as though it hindered him in the gospel ministry. I don't think this was a selfish prayer of Paul. I think Paul was saying, I desire to know Christ. I desire to proclaim the gospel. I desire to go to the Gentiles and, and make known the mystery of Christ, which has been hid since ages past. And he says, and yet I have this thorn in the flesh. And this thorn is hindering me in God's call of life. But what does the Lord say? He says, Paul, nope, my grace is sufficient. This is a messenger of Satan to buffet him, he said. But he said, my grace is sufficient for thee. He says, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And when Paul hears that, I believe it is the Spirit of God within Paul, without a doubt, that is then crying out and saying this. I will glory, therefore, in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know what Paul just said? He said, wait a minute, Lord, I really desire. Three times I pray that you take this thing away from me. And God says, no, Paul, I'm not going to do that. But I will give you grace that will sustain you. And Paul says, if that is the case, then I embrace the infirmities. Because it's through that infirmity that now I am knowing Christ. His power is resting on me. Might it be that we all have that same desire as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. As Paul says, there's not one of us who have spiritually reached the pinnacle of, of maturity. Not one of us in here. None of us, including myself and everyone else, there's not one person in here who has reached the pinnacle of spiritual maturity. But here's what God has done. He has laid hold on us. He has captured us. He has brought us into a relationship with Himself. And if he has done that on our behalf, would it not then benefit us tremendously 
to desire greater than anything else to lay hold of that for which we have been laid hold of by God, as Paul says in this passage. That I may know him, there is nothing greater. And we will see that Paul is explaining again, this is superior to all other things. Now notice, knowing Christ may mean infirmity. Knowing Christ may mean martyrdom. Knowing Christ may mean suffering and persecution. Knowing Christ includes all of these things. But here's the point. We recognize there is grace through all and that knowing Him even makes all of those things as though they are nothing. As a matter of fact, let's close with this. Look in 1 Corinthians because Paul makes a statement. This just came to mind. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. One second. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul explains in verses 24 and following how that he says that God has, has chosen the foolish things to confound the wise and so on and so forth. And then he goes on to say in verse 28, he says, "...and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord." Paul makes it very clear here that if there's anything to be glorified, it is in Christ and Christ alone. So why then would we pursue after anything other than knowing Him when it is the Lord Jesus Christ in whom we boast? Paul says this is superior to everything else. I can make no claims of righteousness. I can make no, I cannot place any value on my resume. He says all of that means nothing, but to know Christ means everything. Let's stand together in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you.